Well, welcome to midweek and welcome to the first day of spring. <laughs> yeah. More rain for more flowers and Yeah. I'm I'm praying for a for a nice mild summer. <laughs> you haven't seen one here? I I don't know if I've you know, you, you can enter into summer sometimes kind of a little mild uh, some years, but then there's always a moment, right, in the Inland Empire to where it's just like, man, it, it's summer. It's coming, though. So right now, um, I, I am truly enjoying, um, you know, an extended time of rain and coolness and being refreshed um, <clears throat> because the heat's coming. So anyway, so uh, this evening we're going to uh, basically wrap up Joshua, the book of Joshua. Uh, next week um, we're going to begin in the book of uh, Judges. And the, uh, it's, it's interesting, that last song that we sung is, is the song that I remember um, vividly uh, being the song that I, I, I sung with my whole heart and unto the Lord um, because that was the time when I recommitted my life to the Lord. And so I, I know that uh, sometimes we can look at Scripture, and whether we intend to or not, we're always thinking about someone else, but Scripture's always, it should be first and foremost for us as we read through and, and, we, and we study the Word and allow the Holy Spirit to give us understanding. And I was just thinking of the book of Judges as we're going into that next week, how it is that we see the Israelites, they're, they're blessed, right? Um, everything is well. And then they get complacent. They start to compromise. And they're warned, and they don't heed that warning, and they fall into God's judgment. And it, we know that it's His discipline. And they, then they come to a, a point to where they, they confess, and they repent, and they turn from their wicked ways. And the Lord uh, blesses them with forgiveness and he brings them back into a, a, a time of blessings and peace and all that. <laughs> they just go right through, through it again and again. And yet, we're, we're no different. We're no different. And we can do it in different ways. Just because there's peace outwardly doesn't mean that we're right with the Lord. And um, so we need to really be mindful and aware of, of our lives before Him. Um, not necessarily how it is, you know, in our immediate uh, proximity, you know, and it, it, is that a gauge to determine whether we're in, in the right place with Him? Um, so we'll talk about that, though, next week. Today we're wrapping up Joshua, and we're in Joshua chapter 24. So if you're not there already, go ahead and turn your Bibles there. We've reached uh, basically the conclusion of the book of Joshua. Joshua was the man of God uh, chosen to lead the Israelites across the Jordan and, and, uh, and out of the wilderness and into the promised land. Uh, we know from last week, and as we've been studying uh, the Israelites and Joshua and his leadership, he's a great leader of the Israelites. He was the, the commander of the Israelites' fighting men. Joshua led the people as he was led by the Lord. And, and we know that in, with the Lord, that that's exactly what we need to do. In order to lead others, we need to first and foremost be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And that way we could, we could lead people in the right direction. 
and with purpose and, and with God's glory in mind. Now, at the same time, we need to understand that Joshua is not Jesus. Although there are many ways in which we can look at Joshua as, as um, uh, in a way, uh, the champion of the Israelites, we need to also understand that, that he's, he's not because he made mistakes, right? Joshua made some mistakes, some pretty big mistakes. He did assume responsibility for those mistakes, though, and that is a good thing. Uh, I remember, if, if you remember back to the sin of Achan and how it was that that led to their loss and their defeat uh, in Ai, and how it was that they also uh, did something they shouldn't have done, and that is they, they made a covenant with the Gibeonites, which they shouldn't have either. In both of those situations, Joshua assumed full responsibility for his actions and those of the entire nation. And so we know that in Joshua's life, he learned from his mistakes, but he kept going. He continued to advance. And even through those mistakes, he sought the Lord. And that's a good lesson for us. It's a good example for us to follow because he corrected, he adjusted, he confessed those mistakes and continued to seek the Lord as he led the Israelites. His mission was always the same. It never changed. Get the Israelites across the Jordan and into the promised land to conquer the land and to do so by driving out the inhabitants of Canaan, uh, but also to help the tribes um, take possession of the land. And so it never changed. It was always the same for Joshua. And this was all according to the commandment of the Lord. God had promised Joshua victory wherever he went, and no one would be able to remain standing before him. No one. And God was faithful through it all. We learned last week that there was not one word of God that failed. That which was given to Joshua, he had fulfilled. Now we get to the final words of Joshua to the tribes. That God... And this is how we need to approach Scripture always. We need to understand that this is what God has determined were the very words that needed to be preserved and have in our hands today. It's the very breath of God. It's God's message not only then, but to us today. To speak to us even today and to minister to us. And it's with that approach that we should come and we should sit at the feet of the Lord and listen to Him as He has these words for us. So they're not for someone else. They're, they're for you. They're for you. So let's stop and ask the Lord to bless our time. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. For with it, Lord, not only do You minister to us in that in those times when we need encouragement or strength or wisdom and discernment, but also correction, exhortation, rebuke, whatever it is, Lord, may you have your way with us this evening that, that we would be men and women who are completely surrendered to you, being willing to deny the flesh, take up our cross and follow you wherever you would lead us. For with you... It is good. With you, we know that we are walking in truth. And so, we commit this time into your hands, Father. We ask that you would speak to us and give us understanding. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's begin Joshua chapter 24, verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the, the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. Now, in the previous chapter, in chapter 23, we know that that was a time when he also brought everyone together. And it, it's, it's unsure whether this is part of the, the same gathering or not. Uh, in the previous chapter, we didn't see a specific location that Joshua had gathered all the people, but here we know that he gathered them unto himself, really, before the Lord in a place called Shechem. Now, either way, the Lord intended that these two accounts be separated and emphasized in the manner in which we have them before us today. So, instead of splitting hairs and trying to figure that out, we should really get to the point of what we have before us in God's Word. And that is that these two chapters, these two sections, even, even though at the very beginning when this was written, they, they weren't divided into chapters, we know that there are two different portions, two different accounts. And we need to, need to notice something very important here. Because when we gather as Christians, we are gathering to worship or fellowship or serve always before God. We should always take that into account, acknowledge it, and understand that even now, One of the things that I think we're lacking within the church today is reverence before the Lord. That when we walk into really the sanctuary, this is the very place where we've come to meet with the Lord. Think about that for a moment. It'd be very difficult for someone who acknowledges that and understands that to come into a time like this in a flippant manner. Right? Uh, to come lightly, um, kind of, you know, just surfacey. It would do us good to not only acknowledge that we are gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, but that He is also our witness as He is in our presence. We would guard our hearts, our thoughts a bit more. We would be more attentive. I mean, if we could just Imagine for a moment that as the word is being spoken, that Jesus himself would be sitting right here. Just kind of watching, just observing, just listening to the words that are coming off the very pages of the Bible. How would we conduct ourselves? How much attention would we be putting on the words of God? If we could physically see Jesus in our presence, I believe many conversations would go differently. Much pushback to the Word of God would be absent, and the atmosphere would be different in many cases. Again, it would do us good to acknowledge the Lord's presence and His witness and know that He desires, know what He desires and what He, uh, what blesses Him. And so... Here's Joshua, and and this is a man that truly desired to bless and honor the Lord by fulfilling that which was commanded to him by the Lord to do, to complete. And so he gathers all of the leaders. He couldn't gather two million Israelites, but, but he could gather all of the leaders the elders, the officers, the chiefs of all of the tribes. He gathered them together, and he and then he came and he presented themselves, all of them, unto the Lord. 
And it's because of this that he could say, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And that's how he began to address the leadership of Israel. And in verse 2, he says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and of Naor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Verse 6, Then I brought, uh, brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw that I did, that, uh, saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you. And I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land. And I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, a king of Moab arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. When we, Here's another thing to continue on from what I, I just said previously in regards to verse 1. When we speak the word of God, and I want to give you this in addition to not just speaking the word of God. When, when you speak the word of God in context, you too can say, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Why? Because it's the very word of God. It is what he spoke. It, it is what he is saying. Prophecy doesn't just refer to the prediction of the future. And even at that, it has to be that which the Lord first speaks as far as we're concerned. It has to match up with Scripture, but it refers to speaking the Word of God quite simply. Prophecy is the very Word of God. That's why I remember um, uh, just a few weeks ago being on the shores of the, the Sea of Galilee and someone talking about prophecy. Uh, and it was in a way that, that wasn't sound biblically. And, and since I was leading the... Um, the afterglow, I, I had to remind everyone that prophecy comes by the Word of God. And, and so we know it's prophecy. It's the Word of God. As, as we speak the Word of God, it is prophecy. This is why 
If we speak for God while interpreting His Word with human opinion or human perspective, instead of letting the Word speak for itself, we can say that we are at best inaccurate, but maybe speaking blasphemy. The reason is because we're not speaking what God says accurately. That's one thing that I've always, that personally I've always feared. I I would rather... Um, be simple with the word. Perhaps not go into it too much as far as reading into it because I I never want to read into God's word that which isn't there. And then teach something that is an opinion or an assumption or a doctrine that God has not established. I would rather just simply read through and explain a few things. And that's it. Let the Word speak for itself. God has no problem speaking for Himself. The Holy Spirit has no problem giving you understanding. That's why I always encourage you, open the Word of God, study it for yourself, read through it. But before you do, ask the Holy Spirit, give give me understanding as I'm reading your Word. Speak to me. Help me to understand. That's why as teachers, there shouldn't be many. We should watch what we say. And never speak more than what is in Scripture. And allow Scripture to interpret itself. This was the problem with the Pharisees of Jesus' time. Jesus corrected many Pharisees. And let me ask you something. As far as the Pharisees were concerned, would you say that they were learned in the law? Very much so, right? They knew it like no one else. They knew it very well. And yet, Jesus wasn't correcting the world. He was demonstrating to the world that he was the Son of God. He was also demonstrating to those within the nation of Israel that he was God. Right? But the people that he really focused on correcting were the Pharisees and the religious leaders for not getting it right and leading many astray from the truth of God's word. He, in fact, he had strong words for them, did he not? Throughout Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins by saying, You have heard that it was said to those of old. Several times he said that you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, And each time, if you pay attention, what he's doing is he's correcting how they've interpreted those scriptures and correcting their teaching. Jesus was. Even regarding the Sabbath, Jesus corrected the Pharisees when they complained about how according to what they were teaching and observing, Jesus' disciples violated the Sabbath by plucking the heads of grain to eat. Why? Because they were hungry. And so as they were going through, they were, they were working. They were doing something they shouldn't have done. And so they complained to Jesus about this very thing. And Jesus addressed them by saying, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, is, is when he addressed them. He says, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence? And he continues on, A little bit later, or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? The the very scriptures that you've gone through, 
You're not teaching them correctly. You, you fail to understand. You, you're falling short of having a solid understanding of what they've said all along. God gives us grace, but we should not speak the Word of God with disregard. And we need to let the Word of God speak for itself and not interpret it to mean what we would rather it mean instead of what it is saying. Sometimes we look at Scripture and it's like, oh, I want it to mean this, and we change it. You should have a fear of doing that. We should have a fear of doing that. So Joshua breaks down their history. This is what we have before us. That's why he says, you know, thus says the Lord. He says, and Joshua said to all of you, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And he goes through and he breaks down their history. From the time that he called Abraham to the present day, it was all about the Lord's faithfulness and the victories that God had through the Israelites. His people, his chosen people. I love that. Joshua reminds them of the impossibilities that were performed by their God. You remember all these things that happened. They were all God's victories. Think about these things. I wonder if God would take you and just bring you off to the side. You know, Bettina, I just want to remind you of a few things in your life. Ray, come over here for a moment. I want to show you all the things that I got you through. I wonder what the specifics of that conversation would be. A lot. Perhaps many things that you hadn't even considered. But he did that. He did that through Joshua. And, and with Joshua, he was, Joshua was speaking to the leaders. And he was saying, hey, remember all of this that has taken place. It, it never is about us and how wonderful we are. But always about how majestic and amazing God is in our lives. Notice also how Joshua described the wonderful relationship that God developed with Abraham. As he drew him out of Ur of the Chaldeans in Genesis eleven twenty eight, and into the land of Canaan. Abraham, you see, and his father Terah. It wasn't that God picked him because he was such a genuine and sincere worshiper of God. In fact, what we see here, God pointed out, is that Abraham and his father were idolaters. They worshipped other gods. But God showed him that there is only one God. And Joshua was reminding the Israelites that it was this one and only God that rescued them from Egypt and led them into the promised land, fighting for them and giving into their possession a land that they had not developed but were now in possession of. That, that should all also speak to us. How it is that God has plucked us out of idolatry, out of being lost, not being in a relationship with Him, and has brought us to the point to where we know who He is. And we know that He desires a relationship with us. That, that's what He desires. That we would be reconciled unto the Father through the Son. That it's by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, simply receiving Him. And so it's a great reminder. The ones who started off as idolaters are now worshipers of the one true God. Now, the use of the word hornet 
You all know how many times it was used in, in the Bible, or it is used? Only several times. It's just three times that it's used in the Bible. And it's used here to identify the work of the Lord in front of them as the Lord drove their enemies out as they advanced. So they would advance, but the hornet stayed in before them and would drive out those that were the enemies of the Lord. It's used two other times. Exodus chapter 23, verse 28, and Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 20. So, on those three occasions. And I like what I heard some time ago about this very thing, uh, and that is the hornet itself, that the same one that's an angel to God, God's saints is a hornet to God's enemies. Same one. The commander of the Lord's army, if you think about this, the commander of the Lord's army, right? As Joshua came face to face with him, he had asked, and I'll kind of summarize it, he asked, are you for us or against us? And it was not that the commander of the Lord's army was for or against Joshua or the Israelites. It all depended on whether Joshua and the Israelites were for or against God. Because that's who he fought for. That's who he went before. The Lord is before us. He also has our rear and our side. He is our covering. He is our fortress. He is our strength. He is the one who gives us that which we need. But most of all, He is with us. And so we have this description of what the Lord had done with the Israelites. And it is through Joshua that he explained to them. Uh, you're in possession right now of a land that you did not possess before. You didn't develop it. You didn't, you didn't do any of this. And yet, here you are. You're enjoying it. God's faithfulness. They have what they have because God had given it to them. And then he called on them to have no other gods before them but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Lord God Almighty. Verse 14. Now therefore the fear of the Lord, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And so here in, just in this one verse, Joshua addresses the fact that Abraham had originally served other gods. Again, we see that when he was in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Joshua tells them that if that he knew they had also served other gods when they were in Israel, or I mean in Egypt. So not only did they serve other gods, this, this would have been um, expected because Abraham, Terah, did not know the Lord to serve other gods, to be idolaters. But what was the excuse of the people when they were in Egypt? Yet, we know that they were idolaters. Right here, Joshua is is addressing that. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river, that is the Euphrates, that is Abraham and Terah. But he also said, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. He's calling on them to put them all away. Not momentarily while they worship God, but permanently. And and serve God with their whole heart, without the impurities of other gods. The leaven of other gods. But completely, and to worship Him in truth 
And this comes at the command of God, the very word of God. This is how we are to worship the Lord. Joshua challenged them with this after he had listed all that God had done for them. That's why it's a good reminder of taking a look, uh, look back and understanding God's faithfulness and his love for us and how it is that he's brought us through, not, given, not only given us salvation, but he's, he's still going before us and on our behalf. Amazing to consider that. And then for someone to say, hey, put away the gods and serve God with your whole heart. We should be more inclined to do so being reminded of the fact that God is faithful. They should consider this and respond by serving or worshiping God with reverence, completely, uniquely, solely, faithfully, and consistently. Putting away all other gods that do nothing because they are nothing. It's interesting, we call them gods, but really it's the gods that we form in our own hearts. But they really are nothing. Nothing at all. In the midst of difficulties, it's easier to worship God than when all is going well and, have it, and we have it easy. And this is one of those things that we need to consider. Sometimes when God gives, he, he blesses us and He entrusts to us those things that we are to be stewards of, and things are going okay, they're maybe going better than okay. It seems like it's at those times when we can say, oh yeah, we worship God, but at the same time we pay more attention to those things that He's given to us than the Lord Himself. That's the danger that we can fall into. That's the warning that we should all heed, that we should all really consider and be aware that it could be a stumbling block for us. It's interesting because when one is enlisted in the military and is, and is battle-ready... It's because conflict is expected. And, and one is on the alert and has made himself ready. But when one does not believe that there is any need to be battle ready, he will relax and bring his guard down because nothing is expected. All is well and all is peaceful. Serving and worshiping God will always get the enemy's attention. Always. And what we know Scripture to warn us of is relaxing, of becoming unaware, of not really being on the alert, thinking just, life is good, right? And dropping our guard spiritually. Especially, you know, you know where the enemy wants to come in, most of all? Here. Here. He wants to come here in this very place. He wants to divide. He wants to destroy. He wants to put thoughts in your minds that are contrary to the Word of God. He, he, wants, he wants infighting. He wants gossip. And the, you know who can stop that? Those who know better. It's you and I. We can stop that. The moment it comes up, we should address it. We should be able to do so with each other. First coming to the Lord, making sure you know it, it doesn't align with Scripture, and if it doesn't align with Scripture, then we address it. You, you and I are the ones that could 
remove the schemes of the enemy outside. The world, is ex- it's expected to have these things happen, right? But it shouldn't be happening within the church. And you and I are the ones that are responsible for that. We should remove the leaven. But it's for us to remove the leaven. Confess it and give it and, uh, and bring it out. We shouldn't be relaxing. We shouldn't be sitting on our heels and, and not looking. We need to stay alert, ready, strong in the Spirit through worship exercises in the fellowship of the Word and the saints, true, reverent, and single-minded toward Jesus who has given us salvation and eternal life with Him. And he says, listen, we're going we're gonna to experience tribulation. Um, the Apostle Paul even knew, uh, hey, after you know, I go, there's going to be wolves coming in. They're going to seek to devour the church. It, it, it shouldn't be a surprise. The Apostle Paul appealed to the Roman Christians to serve God and put away the things of the world. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so... He challenges them. That's what this verse... Verse 14 is a challenge. Listen, you have to understand that, that this, is, this is where we are. This is what the Lord has done. But, but at this moment, we need to fear the Lord. We need to serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness, putting away the gods that our fathers had worshipped across the Euphrates and, and the other generation had done south of the border in Egypt. We need to put away those, those gods. And so he was calling them to choose. And in verse 15, that's exactly what he does. He says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some very important truths to consider here. Number one, some people believe it is evil to serve the Lord. Number two, some people believe that it is okay to serve other gods. Number three, if you believe the first two, then choose. Choose. Just choose. You know what? Even if you don't say something, you've chosen. You've chosen. Choosing to serve the Lord is to choose to serve Him alone and no other. Just, just the Lord. No other gods. You can't have it both ways. And regardless of what anyone else decided, he declared that he would serve the Lord alone, and he and his household. He says, Choose today whom you will serve. As for me and my house, my home, my family, we will serve the Lord. Today there are people who believe that following the God of the Bible is evil. They use words like, well, Christians are homophobic, they're xenophobic, chauvinist, anti-feminist, narrow-minded, etc. You know, we can go on. 
with the description that the world has sometimes for those that are Christians. But if after having read the Bible and learned what it says in context and understand how much God loves them, a person still knowingly rejects the God of the Bible, then they have chosen. And they shouldn't try to turn the God of the Bible into a God, little g, of their imagination and liking. That, that's, that's not the same God that we worship. For instance, uh, we talked about how it is that sometimes we're identified as homophobic. I am not fearful of gay people. I, I, I'm not afraid of them. I don't fear them. I don't fear them any more than a drunk or an adulterer or a fornicator or a murderer or any of the others that are listed in the Bible as conducting themselves in a way that is opposed to the Lord. It's no different. The Word tells us that such people will not inherit the kingdom of God. But God loved us so much that He sent His only Son to die on the cross for us. The homosexuals, the murderers, the drunkards, the adulterers, the fornicators, the liars, the thieves, and I can keep going. God loves us so much that He will identify for us what has separated us from Him. And He calls us all, each and every one of us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only one that we should fear is the Lord and the condemnation and wrath that would come to those who remain in their sin. And so he calls us all to repentance. That's what he does. That's the love that we should be communicating to other people. That, that's the, the basic, that's a foundation of Christianity. God desiring to reconcile all mankind unto, unto himself. For God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so we all have an opportunity to be reconciled unto the Father through the Son. But if after having understood this, people still reject the Lord, then they have chosen. Because if you don't serve one, you'll serve the other. But serve you will, and you do. And this is what Joshua is telling them. Choosing to serve the Lord God Almighty is to serve Him and no other. Matthew 6.24, Jesus speaking, He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You can't serve God in anything else. It's Him and Him alone. If you desire to follow Jesus, you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Him. You deny yourself of anything and everything else. And so Joshua told them to choose this day, as for Joshua and his family, they will serve the Lord. So in other words, Joshua, two million Israelites, if you could imagine this. He's standing before them, and he's telling them, this is the God who delivered you. This is the God who, who brought you into a relationship with him, who's brought you in, who's, who's given you victory over victory over victory, who's brought you into this land that you did not develop and given you things that you had never dreamed of. Choose at this point whom you will serve. But as for me, it doesn't matter if all of you 
do not acknowledge the Lord. Because as for me and my home, we will serve the Lord. No matter if the whole world forsakes him, I will not. Is that where we are? No matter who forsakes him. It's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I pray that is a fact with you. That that is your commitment, your devotion. In verse 16, as he continues, this is the answer from the people. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites, who lived in the land. Therefore, we, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. A great response, right? The nation's response is, We will serve the Lord. They declared that God had indeed not only brought them out of Egypt in slavery, but had also sustained them in the wilderness and given them victory wherever they went. They confessed that. I agree with you, Joshua, and we acknowledge that the Lord did all of these things. And it is is He that we will serve, we will worship Him alone. It was good confession. Or was it? Because Joshua then responds, verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, You you are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Again, it is wonderful to hear how Joshua responded to them. Because Joshua was making sure they fully understood and were making a genuine declaration of commitment and devotion to serve the Lord. The covenant that was being made with God would also, or, or a, a recommitment to the Lord, would ensure that they would receive also the wrath of God if they broke it. And so Joshua is telling them with no uncertain terms, in, in no uncertain terms, that, hey, listen, you need to be certain, you need to be careful of what you're saying here. It wasn't a light matter. And so they should not enter into this covenant in a flippant manner. In other words, he was telling them, count the cost and make sure your promise and decision is genuine. Make sure it's genuine. In fact, Jesus did this in Luke chapter 14, if you want to hold your place there and go to Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. It's not that Jesus didn't want anyone to follow him. In fact, Jesus wants the whole world to turn from their sins and follow him, right? So that's, that's not why he's, he's addressing those around him in this way. 
But there was something to consider. Verse 25 of, verse, of uh, Luke 14 says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, we need to understand, uh, again, Jesus is hard. Jesus, uh, he declared salvation to all mankind, right? But he had to be received as the Son of God. And they had to be- come to believe that. But he also ha- had to explain to them that following me, it, it requires something of a cost, uh, somewhat of a cost. In fact, a great cost at times. Why? Because when others reject, even within our own household, I don't know how many of you have experienced this in your own household, but at the moment, at times, and you know what I was, I was reading? I was reading how it is that in different areas of the world, there is, there is um, persecution, there is great persecution, and then there's extreme persecution. It was interesting how it was, and it goes from yellow to orange to red in different areas of the world. It was interesting to me that in Mexico, it's not yellow. It's not even less than that. It's actually orange. There's great persecution. I thought that was interesting. But at the same time, it's not surprising. Because I can tell you that even within my own family, that the stronghold of Catholicism is great. And to be considered an evangelical and having turned your back on the, the church, is what they would say it is, is to be lost. In fact, the Catholic Church determined, has determined that Protestants are actually just lost. They just need to be brought back to their senses and brought back into the church. I thought, that's interesting that it's actually considered orange. Great persecution there. Are we willing to go through things like that? Are you willing to, like Joshua, say, you may all forsake the Lord, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Have you experienced things like that? You know, we should never compromise or give in to that. We should stand with the Lord and in the truth of God's word. That's it. Because the Lord was saying right here in Luke chapter 14. 
He was saying, compared to all the other relationships with you, that you have, yes, even with your mother and father, your sister, your daughter, your daughter-in-law, your son-in-law, your best, your BFF, it doesn't matter. That love should seem like hatred compared to the love that you have for me. And you should be willing to forsake all for me. Are you willing to do that? And the answer, of course, for those who are true followers of Jesus Christ, should be without skipping a beat. Yes, Lord. I walk with you. And no one else. I will not compromise for my family. I will not compromise for my mother, my daughter, my son. I won't compromise for anyone. I, would, I will lead them, in fact, by my example. And so I love this with Joshua because Joshua was challenging them to make sure they knew what it meant to serve the Lord. It can come at a great cost. To make sure they knew, just as we ought to know what it means to serve Jesus Christ, the Lord our God, to love Him above all and have no other gods but Him. Their response? No, but we will serve the Lord. And then we continue, verse 22. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve and His voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. The covenant has been renewed. Joshua tells them to put their idols away as they said they would serve and obey the voice of the Lord. And so we have a renewal of the covenant between Israel and God. Um, With this, I was thinking, I I told you about the time when I recommitted my life to the Lord. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. I, I love that song because it brings me back to that very moment. And I told you earlier that it's at times when things are really good that we can also forsake the Lord in different ways. Life's good. And sometimes we need to recommit. There's nothing wrong with recommitting your life to the Lord. And I find myself every day, Lord, I commit my life to you. Once again, help me. Help me to walk with you. Even to refresh it. Lord, Pour your spirit out upon me. Fill me with your spirit. Ask. Keep asking. Ask and ask again. To have a renewed commitment. To reestablish, again, some foundational elements of your faith. Lord, remind me of my first love. Of the things that I did at the very beginning. How I came to you with, with zeal and with gratefulness and And we're so thankful 
for just the salvation that you've given to me. Because sometimes we have these idols that we need to put away also. And if so, then put them away. And recommit your life to the Lord. That's what Joshua was telling the Israelites. And that's what the Lord tells us all the time. Put them away. Follow me. Put them away. Follow me. We need that reminder. Then these last verses here is Joshua's legacy, which is wonderful. Verse 29, After these things, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnasserah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the place of in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. And so Joshua is memorialized forever with these words. We're still reading them today. Once more, what are they? Who was Joshua known? What, what was Joshua known by? Here in these final words, simply with these words, he was a servant of the Lord. That's it. A servant of the Lord. The legacy Joshua left was that Israel remained serving the Lord throughout the days that the elders lived after he died. And we're still reading and being encouraged by the life of Joshua and how he was used by the Lord as a servant of the Lord. He served the Lord. He committed his life to him. Fulfilling, completing that which he was called to do. That's it. We should be that example. Parents, we should be that example to our kids. What is the legacy that we're leaving? We love the Lord and we serve him. I know we would all love for our lives to impact generations following ours, right? Most don't. I'll be quite honest with you. Most don't. I, I have heard, uh, well, I, I knew my grandfather, my dad's dad, and I, my uh, nana, his wife, I only knew for a couple of years before she died uh, due to cancer. Uh, on my mom's side, I never knew my grandfather, um, he died well before I was born. My grandmother, she made a great impact on my life, but she did not make an impact personally, directly, on my kids. She did not. And so we need to ask ourselves, the, what legacy are we leaving? Really, the, the, the one and only legacy that we should really be concerned with is, is this. Did we in our lives completely devote ourselves to the Lord and did we glorify Him? That's all that's required of us. Be faithful to the Lord. It doesn't matter, really, it, it's, it's, it's up to the, the subsequent, the, the coming generations to also do this very thing. As Joshua had, had said, spoken to all of the Israelites, two million of them, choose today whom you will serve. I hope that my kids and my kids' kids and my kids' kids' kids 
that if the Lord doesn't come back by then, that they too will come to this and understand that, yeah, this, this man, it was my, my grandfather's father. He would teach the word and we heard that he desired above all that we would also choose to follow the Lord. But we have a choice. We have a choice, and we need to make that choice. The legacy that we should leave is a faithfulness to God. That's it. The burden is not on you. Let the Lord do His work. We also see here how Joseph's bones were carried out of Egypt and buried where he had asked for them to be buried as he, by faith, believed that the Lord would deliver them, the Israelites, out from Egypt, and they would return to the land that God had given them. And indeed, this is where they were. Genesis fifty twenty five. Joseph was also 110 years old when he died, just like Joshua, 110. Eliezer was Aaron's son, and Phinehas was now the high priest. And so that generation that knew about the wilderness at this point was starting to die off. Well, we're going to learn about the next generation and what happened with them. And, and that, that's why I'm, I'm telling you, the legacy that you want to leave is a faithfulness to the Lord. Because we're going to learn about the decisions that the coming generations made in regards to following the Lord and what came their way. So what kind of impact would you like to have on the world? What impression are you leaving in the lives of people around you? Let's leave the impression of Jesus on others. That will be determined by the faithfulness we have toward our Lord and the commitment and devotion toward Him. If we are not so concerned about our legacy as we are about His glory, we'll do just fine. Just keep your eyes fixed on the Lord, the author and perfecter of our faith. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness. And I ask, Lord, that You would help us, Lord, as we recommit our lives to You. Lord, You know that we are in desperate need of you reminding us of your faithfulness and of your grace and how it is that we don't go forth in our power and our might, but by your spirit, your might. And so, Lord, um, fill us with your spirit once more. Lord, help us or to be heralds of the good news of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Salvation has come. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to remain faithful to you. Help us to walk in the truth, stand upright, and never let our guard down. Always knowing that you are with us, but the enemy is always there to try and take us down. Lord, may we not let that happen. Father, may we be aware, Lord, that most of all that you are with us and you're guiding and directing us. Give us your wisdom and discernment. Again, fill us with your spirit and help us to walk in step with you. In Jesus' name we pray.